Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this patch video for there is no epic Lucia, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Please don't forget to do all the usual YouTube stuff as that helps the video and the channel with the algorithm. Chapter 124 You can call me Al. Delta was waving her hands as the battle waged on. Let Thorns people bleed, she told Viam, who scowled, but the Thorns vanished on the moment before she smashed a bunch into Poppy. Delta moved between different angles, fretting about the party and Viam. It was both their first time in the boss event, and Delta just wanted everyone to have a good time and... Uh, don't choke, Grim, she screeched slightly as the poor boy was held upside down by the root and shook like a clownfish in a bag. Why are you sleeping? Kemi wailed as she tried to squeeze into Dio's wooden prison, poking the boy hard in the face with an obscene mushroom staff. Aminster was waving a snake skeleton around like a whip, the bone shifting with a dark energy that wilted some of Wyam's leaves in contact. Poppy was looking like a cross between a Komodo dragon and a cow that snorted fire out of her nostrils. Vass was being thrown into a nearby stream and simply laid down as if some psychosomatic shock had made him sink like a rock underwater that he could stand above. It was a pandemonium and Delta felt grey hair forming in her astral form. She opened her mouth to tell Wyam that clubbing Delta's baby seals, uh, brave adventurers, was still not allowed when she stopped abruptly. She turned as if her body was a series of clockwork sprockets and springs. Blinking once, Delta exhaled as if releasing a sigh that she had been holding for a very long time. In a single instant, her orange form vanished and a very confused blue young man spluttered as he formed upside down, legs kicking in the air with a skull on his face. Looking up, he snarled and smacked himself. Legs! Damnable legs! New rage before he paused to consider why he had legs again. He closed his eyes as he tried to follow the sunshine feeding of Delta, a warmth of his face that he didn't mind as much as the other pains to his existence. Delta had been in various states of Dungeon Core before, deep in the Spider Queen, unconscious as levels formed, even sad as a person. But this side of her made her go from solid to mist. A part of her was pulled forward that New had never seen in such a pure quantities. Her soul. Alpha remembered falling to his knees, each stepped down into the dungeon heavier than the last. He panicked slightly, thinking that he was being attacked. But the wait was warm, like sleep after a long journey. He leaned forward, intending to simply catch his breath when he saw the ground, then rushing towards him, and he blinked, awaiting the pain. Instead, he went from lying on the ground to sitting in a chair. It was a subtle shift that took a moment to understand. The chair was leather, deep and comfortable. It also felt like he had never relaxed into it, constantly sitting as close to the edge as possible as his back was kidding him. Alpha settled back with relief. There was, uh, he tried to blink back tears, but his eyes had been closed this entire time. He opened them. He saw. Alpha saw. The universal, someplace that seemed to be everything that he had seen and felt compressed into a single location. Light, rain, earth, 
wind, the sounds of cities, it all clubbed together like a painting of stars and swirling galaxies. It felt the closest to home since Alpha had come to this world. Groaning nearby made him sit back up and try to take notice. All his skills, all his talents and abilities were, uh, gone, and it left him feeling naked as a warrior to a degree. He still knew how to throw a punch if needed it. Peering over, he saw two empty chairs, one to his left and right, one of bone and wood that seemed to be more flat surface than chair for a human. The other was a solid rock while the other sat upon, looked more like a covered in a dozen or so deep scars where something would start to make a mythical sword in the throne. Directly across from his own was a most bizarre of chairs. It was a massive beanbag of mostly orange fabrics spread out like a sunbathing slime. But many different colors had been stitched to it, giving it a mismatched appearance. Cartoonish depictions of goblins, pigs, and frogs seemed to cover its surface. No new ten more minutes. Jack won't blow up too much. A soft voice complained in the throes of sleep. Hello? He called out. The mumbling stopped. Someone slowly raised their head from the sunken center of the beanbag. Black hair that looked unkempt and bushy fresh from sleep was the first thing he noticed. The second was the eyes, one of the blazing orange, the other of dark green. Alpha presumed the green one was her natural color, but he had to admit that she wore orange well. She slowly managed to sit up and crumpled shirt, tie, and long work skirt gave her a mature appearance and the pocket watch in the shirt pocket added character. Alpha felt a little enchanted as if he knew this woman, a face that he saw at work every day, or someone he shared a commute with. Maybe someone he saw when he was shopping. A neighbor he had never quite said hello to. The stinks for bro and sister's work, the woman muttered before she gave Alpha a bright smile. Hi, I'm Delta, um... Her smile faded, and when she looked fully at him, Your chair is, um, bleeding, she said slowly. Alpha looked down, despite his conscious mind really not wanting to. His chair was a sort of seat that one would see in the tent or on the road, Hastily built, but done so many times that comfort had been maximized. It was badly damaged as if the trip was dangerous. Battle scars and the unwillingness to mend it meant that the chair had sunk on one side and from the leather of many beasts that came upon it. A few sections were indeed leaking blood, but the entire thing was even more ruined since every inch of it, uh, words had been carved into it. Slay the skeletons, find the lost breach, find the ruins. So on, and so on. No space had been spared by all the consuming quest lines, except for the armrests. They were almost pristine except for a single word on each. The left said quest, and the right finished with failed. He shook a little and tried to retreat to old habits to suppress the simple words. He looked for great quests to grunt scratched, something left undone, something to take the choice away and responsibility, anything. He went still when his head was pulled to a shoulder. Hey, you're all right, the woman, Delta, whispered as she held him. The contact was like a cold shower, and he shuddered and exhaled. She pulled back and smiled again. Some stitches and stuffing, then your chair will be good as new. I don't have sheep yet, but I have a rabbit tails and pig hair. I'm sure I can whip something up if you don't mind the smell of the occasional mushroom. She offered kindly, looking unbothered that Alpha had gotten tears on her shirt. I don't need a good chair, he replied almost automatically. 
The woman leaned down with a smile. Ah, I didn't ask if you needed it fixed. Do you want it to stop bleeding? She insisted. The question threw him as it always did when a human kindness was shown his way. Do you want me to want it fixed? He tried meekly to work the argument into an area that he was more comfortable with. She pursed her lips. You're a weird one coming from me, that's something. What's your name? She asked, and Alpha shifted, unable to take back the knowledge of his pleading chair to blissful ignorance. Alpha, he said, only now fully understanding Delta's name. She froze as she made the same connection. This was Delta. This was his superior, his thrice model successor. Even with the letters, even with the promises of system, Alpha wondered if he was here to pass the torch on and die. He could feel it happening now. Breathing was coming difficult. His vision had gone dark. He was being swallowed by a screaming void. After a second, he understood he was merely being smushed in Delta's body in a tight embrace as she jumped up and down, screaming in laughter and delight. Alpha! Alpha! Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta! We're practically related, Alpha! Get him! I'm Delta! She said excitedly, spinning him around, and he was mildly bothered that she was so much older than him. I'm the first model. I suspect you must be an impressive warrior with many abilities. Alpha tried to compliment back. I'm a what? Delta stopped smiling and tilted her head. A hero of the system. What's your strongest ability? I haven't uh, compared to anyone. He admitted, and Delta looked slightly unconcerned at the question. Non-consensual mushroom power? She offered slowly. So invasive mushroom spores. It must be deadly. Does it infect dragons or armies? He asked politely, trying to get his grounds on where he stood compared to his talented hero. No, they mostly infect me and walk about sometimes. They also explode and taste bad until I fix them, Dalton muttered. Alpha stared, not sure if she was teasing him. He inhaled once. Usually, this activated his stoic posture ability, but all it did here was make his cheeks puff up. You don't have to tell me if you don't wish, he insisted. Delta waved her hands at a panic. No, I have goblins as my helpers, and I reformed a spider queen's soul, and I accidentally made a super mushroom man that wipes out armies, and you know, a bolt bar. Also, I have a jungle that is filled with really good materials I own, she listed, trying to explain. Alpha's mouth fell open. Delta quest rewards were so unfair. What about treasures and loot? He asked, hoping maybe he might win on that front. This oddly depressed Delta to an extent. I have no epic loot. Only pun birds, she said, looking frazzled. Pun birds? He blinked. Delta's eyes turned mischievous. Birds most foul, she agreed. I can slay them if they are bad. I don't need a quest. You're nice. Foul birds are a pain. Alpha shrugged. Delta opened her mouth and then closed it. I made them so I'm a little attached, she declined. It was Alpha's turn to be depressed since if he didn't quest, he didn't have anything else to offer. So, Al, do you remember before? Delta asked slowly, and the tone of the space shifted as Alpha swallowed once. Pieces, usually doing a quest of importance or something, just thinking brings back pieces, he said, and Delta nodded as if she was the same for her. I don't remember how I died. Delta said softly. Alpha watched her face turn speculative and looking at a nearby image of a swirling star, the light bouncing off her face, bouncing off her eyes. 
burning. He was burning, screaming which way to go. He had to go panic. He turned as fire rose into the air, casting light over people. The people. Her eyes. He snapped back, stumbling back into his chair and held his head. Whoa there. Don't poke those memories. All the medical people will tell you trying to force suppressed memories can be a bad thing. Delta scolded and worried. We died together. Alpha said abruptly and Delta let go of his hand as if he had burned her. Alpha, she said, then didn't know what else to say. I don't know how, but I know that now. Not that it helps, he said suddenly before he winced as Delta smacked his back. Listen here, Eeyore. We had a bad time and now we're going to have a good time. I am Delta and I just got to level three so you can count on me, she said seriously. Alpha looked at up her, a slight pain on his face. Were all the quests reward heavy? Three? It is a good start. How many foes have you vanquished? He said with a thick voice. Delta looked proud as she answered. I've only ever killed one person and a few slimy things. She bragged before thinking. And an invading army of spiders, but that was by accident of soul crushing their queen. She shrugged. Then she had a serious thought and she crossed her arms. Does releasing the souls of the cult undead count as killing or simply finishing the process? She mumbled, shaking his head. Alpha only had one real question of interest left. How do you own the dungeon? Do you win over the core or did you use an ability? Everyone says it's your dungeon. He asked as Delta bragged to him on her bean bag. It was really comfortable, but whatever was inside had different sizes and shapes to them that simply beads of cotton. Delta looked bemused. You could say that I was handed the job. I've done good with it, but I've been Delta a few blows to my ego. She nudged him, but then expecting something. Learning political or speech skills should encounter those blows, he said slowly. Delta's amused look turned exasperated. Puns are not your forte, are they? She asked bluntly. Killing things is my forte, he agreed. You're killing me, she muttered, and Alpha frowned as he didn't seem to be getting any damage numbers. His sword wasn't even sheathed. Alpha, I wasn't put in charge of a dungeon. I am literally the dungeon, she explained. Alpha frowned, trying to understand. You are the only thing inside to fight, he asked, before Delta leaned in and passed over his forehead to his. Oh, you are a treat, she smiled with a crackle of energy was shared between them. Orange and Alpha saw rooms created with forming souls, winding passengers and omni-awareness of space. After a moment, he leaned back. I was the floor, he muttered. Delta nodded sagely. I was the torches and dolls, he went on. Uh-huh, Delta encouraged. I knew the monsters. I saw the people, he said. And the logical conclusion of this, Delta led him to a duck chasing breadcrumbs. Alpha also saw the duck. It was not a duck, but it was the closest thing to a duck in disguise. You used your mushrooms to infect a dungeon to overrode its consciousness, he said impressed. They aren't mine. I was forced to adopt them. Only Mushy and Maestro and Missy are mine, and sometimes the pygmies, Delta said furious, jabbing her arm hard with each word. I was the dungeon. You're the hero. I'm the dungeon. Those two are the monster and the weapon, Delta said after a moment. She touched Alpha's hand. Hero, she said, then placed his hand on her face gently. Dungeon, she whispered.
Alpha looked at her, Ellie's heart broke for her, a physical sensation of pain. It shattered at the knowledge that she was not superior in terms of the system, nor was she his replacement. She had been turned into something he, he was meant to destroy, an arm, to conquer. I won't, he said firmly. Delta just smiled. You don't need to do any of that, she agreed, but Alpha shook his head. I don't want to, he insisted. Then do you want to be my friend instead? She asked, smile bright as she held his hand gently. The question was hard as he fought so hard to never feel lost again. But this space, this feeling, perhaps the fact that Delta had his literal army of monsters and traps to protect her. I do, he said, and admission of desire and loneliness making his shoulders shake. He couldn't stop, and soon he was making unintelligible noises, and Dalta was rocking him in a hug slowly. Welcome to the dungeon, hero. It doesn't have epic loot or the ability to level you that great, but it, it can be your home if you need it, she said, smiling. Alpha let go of his pain inside, letting it weep and flow. As he did so, the waiting quests and notifications melted away from his vision, for the first time since he had awoken in this world, his vision was clear of symbols and alerts. All he saw was orange and warmth. I think I'm forgetting something, Delta muttered above his head. Shackles unbound, the sun has set and the gleeful moon bit your pain. Wyan purred as New observed the fight as sharp spears of branches made hallways and snakes made of Wyam's flowery hair snapped at anyone approaching. Whoop grum more, but leave the innocent priestess, New instructed. Isn't this hard mode? Grum demanded as he deftly slashed, cutting any vine that got close. New smiled, unheard by them, but still responding. It's more a uh, new game plus, he said, and Wyam froze, snapping her head at him in disgust. New sighed in a dramatic sadness. I'm ruined. She's ruined me, he mumbled. End of chapter. Chapter 125. Branching Paths. Iam swept the mist back as if brushing a loose strand of hair behind one ear. The veil rushed in to hide the holes around the island of paradise that was Wyam's home. A rush of air that vanished with almost musical notes. A plucky lot, aren't they? News bluish form was distracting as he stared down at the panting, adventuring party. A young man that looked to be growing an afternoon shadow with a tasteful business suit, if Delta's memories were correct. News' one concession was that his jacket was undone and his tie was loose like a noose. His ruffled hair seemed to be growing longer each time Wyan looked. His smile, however, was so shark-like it belonged in a cutthroat world of stock markets and liquefying booth corporations and people, which one depending entirely on his mood at the time. In the light, New was handsome, but Wyam couldn't ever fall for him. In the dynamics of power, the tie between the two beings, she could never truly love a dangerous beast that was too like herself. Wyam very much enjoyed being the one in control. Plucky? Well, they are looking plucked, Wyam said, enjoying the way New's smile changed to anguish at the wording. Wyam didn't like wordplay or puns, but she'd love them just enough to use them against New. She's mocking us, the little boy, who tried to smother his light with death, gritted out. 
the various bowed instruments laid about the boss arena shattered, but even in pieces, even in dust, the boy proved to be clever. Between the snake skeletons turned into wisps, or even the little trick where he almost grew a bone segment over her eyes with chalk dust, Wyam would have to keep him down. He was too clever at times. At first, she was worried, but the boy lacked the, uh, the true affinity for death. But the way he struggled to keep something contained, something powerful, made her want to poke at him until he snapped like one of the small branches. But Wyam could believe. Children were in a bad taste to traumatize, even if it had made them stronger in the long run. Thankfully, Delta had less pity for stumbling buffoons, so Wyam would always have to grow men and women to break physically and mentally, even spiritually, if she had time. Next to him, a girl who burned with a bestial rage stumbled to her feet. Why, the angry face, dear, do I do something to upset you? Wyam asked, innocently, like a naive dryad emerging from spring. She absentmindedly shook the case in her other hand, making a snorting boy inside roll out. Another scary child, if Wyam was honest. Still, for all her drake breaths and flame goliath fire chorus, Wyam had tasted stronger. Not that she let herself get too cocky. The fire mage who burned her very self was merely fifteen minutes away from the dungeon and into the town, even if he didn't seem to recognize her now. Someone put a hand on the girl's soldier, and Wyam tried not to avert her eyes. The thing shook his head. She's trying to make you rush, the golem said, his blonde hair and petite features too perfect to be natural outside of years of selective breeding. Just before the extra toes started showing up, Wyam both glanced over at the golem and tried to avoid looking too long. It was a frustrating feeling, magnetically drawn and yet instinctively repulsed. Some part of her was now him, flowed inside that aura the golem called a soul, but it was a mixture with so many things, like a beautiful tapestry that was set on fire with glee until it lived with confused flaming. It was a work of a master, a dark and twisted master who delved with no mortal should. My name is Vass, and I would like to negotiate for the release of our comrade. The boy began, and Wyam saw the shrewdness that was so like her own for a moment before it was replaced by the foolish brightness. I accept. I would like you all to submit and give up. Do so, and your friend is yours, whole and alive." Wyam offered in what she thought was quite a generous deal. If we refuse, will you kill him? asked the shifty one of the cat summon, Gromit or something. Wyam would learn his name later when she cared. Wyam thought about it, but after a few seconds of manipulative wording, the image of Delta rising up from the dark abyss of Wyam's conscious glowed orange. Imagine they were your children, the spiritual Delta said benevolently. Like a toad under both feet, Wyam said bluntly. The kids froze, and the mental Delta screeched and knew shot her an odd look. Every child you save gives you a loyalty point on the stamp card that allows you to traumatize one person that I don't care about. Conscious Delta argued, waving some card about, and Wyam hastily took back her words. Wyam didn't know if she was developing a conscious or Delta was speaking to her through some veil of consciousness. But Wyam wasn't letting that deal go. I'm joking. Look at his... Wyam stared at the boy. Dio. And hesitated. His, uh... 
unpinchable, meaty cheeks that flow with hot, warm blood. Wyam said, smiling as if nails were being inserted into her eyes. I'm having no part of this. Lou turned simply, walking out of the bathroom as if some meal had been anticipated and had been replaced by cardboard. Well, Dio's dead. I think that we can still escape the same fate if we run and don't run into any more murderous trees. Knock on wood, Grim said and then looked at the furious with himself. I won't leave my teammate behind, the priestess said in a serious tone. She reached into the robes that looked like she had tied a cloud to her body. It was essential, and Wyam felt her own missed trick was a little lacking in comparison. And what little trick do you have? She asked as she snaked a vine around the pun-making Critton's leg and lassoing him around the top and making him more bad jokes. The woman held up a single length of white cloth, the thing dancing in the breeze. It, um, didn't seem to have a magical aura, and the thing threw Wyam for a moment, cautiously, gathering the mist and coating her vines in case it was a trap. Even her teammates looked confused. In the darkest of the pits, and we are the foulest of creatures, I give up my flawed sight, and let the path of truth guide me. With the white cloth of surrender, I give my fate to my goddess. She warned, and with ease blindfolded herself, Wyam scrunched up her face. Pit fell. Excuse me, I made Delta work very hard on. She began, but froze as something washed over the room. A touch of divinity. Wyam saw shadows move as new light saw sneaked out of the woman's body. The mushroom staff in her hand creaked and strained and the ethereal glowing veins traveled its length, beating at the tip. The item struggled to channel the power that now filled the priestess. The priestess seemed to have an idea of a sheer image she gave off. I have confused meaning about this, the little death mage said bluntly. Wyam narrowed her eyes, taking no chances. She moved dozens of vines at the priestess, parting the meadows like their wave of breaking upon the shore. The priestess tilted her head and then floated as if it was made of nothing but feathers and purity. She weaved around the snaking vines. The priestess shot skywards and the vines followed with snatching intentions. The staff she wielded swung and began to smack into each one with an accuracy that was... Uh, Wyam stared at the every smack of the leaf landed perfectly. The touch exploded each vine in a white energy strands of fuscous sap. The cheating goddess, I call, what does Delta call it? Hacks, hacks, the woman is using aimbots. Wyam raged words that she didn't understand, throwing out of comforting anger. The path of truth is easy to see amongst the garden of lies and fake masks. The priestess called out as she shot towards Wyam, still glowing with divine power. Of all the luck, Wyan's first religious nutter had to be a legitimate saint. A very untrained and timid saint, but that was like saying a knife in your kidney was only a little sharp. This hurts, Dio. No, all of their dreams are to be the first team to conquer this dungeon. I won't let you end their dreams. They're good kids, Wyan. The saint girl cried as she glowed with more power with each word of faith. The star smashed into her cheek, moving through her wall of vines as if she knew exact angle, speed, and spin needed to break through. The image of that, uh, staff on her face made Wyam's temper boil. What if Sir Fran had been watching? Wyam's amber eyes slowly looked at the saint without moving her face. Little girl, she began, before the vines curled around the staff, gripping it hard. You wished to spit some truth at me. 
Very well, Wyam said, moving slowly, making the staff groan ominously. Let's have a heart to heart. My name is Wyam, and I don't think anybody loves me. She began, and the glow around the saint diminished hard, as if a sharp wind blew out her divine light. It hurt Wyam like a shard of glass in the heart, but the look of panic on the girl's face was so delicious. She pulled the staff closer to her flowering dress, sliding it down smooth wood as the girl struggled to get free. I lost who I was, and now I don't even know if I like who I am becoming, she said casually. The phallic staff was gushing white energy now, unable to contain it due to Wyam's constant squeezing. And honestly... I like Delta. She tries hard, and she has a side that I see that I don't think others do, Wyam admitted, seeing New's dark blue form skulking in the shadows. And if it weren't for her, you'd all be dead, she said, sensually, into the priestess's ears. The divine buff snuffed out, leaving a limp girl in Wyam's grip. Her staff sacked, her spent any of her power. The saint slowly raised her head, and Wyam's smirk slipped off her face as the girl was grinning. I didn't lie, you just presumed that I didn't have a plan, she admitted, as there was a sudden pain from her arms. From the staff, a necrotic dark energy that had been hiding under the divine light shot across Wyme's body and into the cage. It was weakening, becoming rotted as several hands flew from the girl's cloud dress and sucker-punched Wyme hard enough to make her entire form rock back. She saw out the corner of her eye that the golem waved a cheerful two-armed wave, messing his left hand. When had he detached? Wyan's mind flashed to not a few moments before when he stopped the bestial girl, putting her hand on his shoulder. He must have cut it off when he left it there when he talked to her. The crafty little... Wait. Wyan panicked as something was still missing. She felt the ground rumbling. The death mage grinned, exhausted as he fell to his knees. The beast girl at his side collapsing into clothes and dead skin. A one-sided mimic. Even the clothes looked to be made of a hastily dyed hair. Something shot past her roots in a shark moving through the soil. The massive, limbless worm with veins of burning fire breaching the ground as Wyam did her best to move the rotting cage. But the girl snapped a maw over it and snapped it clean. There were still human features, but clearly... This advanced transformation had taken time, and her team had bought her more than enough for her. They had rescued Dio. Wyan couldn't even deny that they'd completely and utterly pulled the wool over her eyes. She closed her eyes and sighed as Maestro began to play the trumpets in morally uplifting victory theme. Wow, it worked, the annoying one said, and Wyan scowled, dropping him to a slightly softer piece of boss arena. Her challenge had... Uh, been beaten, so she would stop trying to murder the children. For now, you didn't do anything, Wyan reminded, as she examined her chomped branches with dismay. It would take minutes to grow all this back and days to get it trimmed just right. Hey, it's my plan and you're just annoyed we wormed our weight into a win. He grinned, then looking at the peace girl, transforming back inside. Can you break curses? the boy asked, hopefully. Wyan didn't even blink. Death is the best way. I suggest a neat beheading. Get the cursed juices out quickly, she said coyly. I'll keep looking, he responded dryly. Ah, well, why am I just being honest? Before long, they all gathered before her. Wake him up, the saint girl insisted, as the peace girl checked Dio with worry. I didn't put him to sleep, Wyam said, bemused. 
There was a long moment as they all stared at her and then back at Dio, who was snoring his head off in the girl's lap. He's a heavy sleeper. I was hoping he'd wake up and scream a little, she insisted, getting annoyed that they weren't believing her. This is... Uh, Wine turned to see New struggling with something that she couldn't see. It was like he was trying to turn a valve into what was beyond him. I knew it was bad, but how did she bend the reward back? Wait, I got it. New, crowd, and success had something seemed to give in his hand. There was a loud popping noise like a giant bubble had exploded overhead. New began to spin with a shriek as whatever he tried to do was now taking him for a ride. What was that? Theo mumbled. Having felt the rumble, he seemed to feel the pop more than the entire battle. It was astounding. New was now blue vortex as the system he was trying to use didn't like his hands on handling and then he shot across the room as something like a white rip in space formed, the sounds of reels spinning the room. Oh, rewards! I hope I get a one to match my staff. Having sidearms are always useful. The saint clapped and wine pursed her lips, deciding that no one could be that naive. Girl, you don't need more toys. You need a man, she said, and the girl shook her head as the light grew brighter. I don't need a man, or anyone for that matter. If my partner wants to come into my life, then they will appear at the appropriate time and with heroic charm. They have to be not too old and be earnest, and if they like helping people, that would be nice too. The saint lectured with a sweetness that made Wyam want to gag. I'm sorry, but people don't just fall from the sky. Wyam began, cynical, acid building in a tone before someone fell from the white tear, landing in a couch before Kemi. Some squire knight's costume with a sword over one shoulder. Wyam stared as he stood slowly, looking around with a frown. Delta, this isn't the third floor. I think you must, he called into the tear. In the tear, barely audible to Wyam, let alone the humans, Dalta's voice cried out, I, I'm sorry, I've never into dungeon transported someone. It's not as easy as it looks. Listen, I promise there's a feast table down there. Just go down the stairs and enjoy yourself. I need a minute to find my way out. She defended herself. The young man turned, looking slightly red and smiling to himself, as if Dalta's words made him happy. And then he saw Wyam, then the group. The smile vanished under the stoic mask that would make rocks envious. Cammy just got rewarded a boyfriend. The golem nodded, and the saint looked either terrified or starstruck. Lame. I want a giant magical swords and artifacts to make me invisible. Grr, something complained. The knight looked awkward before he pointed at Cammy and turned invisible, as if erased from existence. I am Alpha, family of Delta. I must go now. I am not, um... Taking requests right now, other than assuring you that I am quite capable. Forgive me. I am on a break for being a hero. He bowed politely and turned on his heel. He didn't get far before something yanked in his arm. Kemi slowly becoming visible with a smile. Hey, even if you're not my reward, I'd, uh, I'd like to say hello and um, know more about Delta. Kemi, come with you to the next floor. She asked and Wyam felt ignored. This was her bathroom, and they were having an emotional connection in her vicinity. She needed a hose. Yeah, felt tainted. The third floor is not uh, available for trial, but there is a feasting table that you can all go and enjoy. Go, leave, explode, just don't linger, Byam said bluntly as New floated back from the disheveled appearance, looking like he'd gone through the ringer. Items began to fall from the tear before it sealed up. 
Wyam snatched him and hurled him at people like a squirrel trying to get interlopers off a lawn. A large black branch that was infused with the spirit of winter, the goth took it up with an eagerness that she passed off as aloofness, some thorny collar for the beast girl that was glaring at her, keeping Dio behind her. The thing had some magic that Wyam only knew was not teleportation to make them leave faster. Kemi got a sharp stiletto heels and made thorns and an actual heel. They were dark and clashed with the innocent cloud robe. They let her balance no matter what was under her, barring magical interference. Great, uh, she could hustle on the next floor faster. She tried them on, and the boy who made Wyme want to kill something watched. Something about his alpha made some deep urge to rise up. A long, dead dungeon instinct to murder that Wyme had needed to no help in cultivating. Her own murderous rage was sufficient, so she ignored it. Kemi took three steps and fell over, the magic in them clearly counting on the wearer being able to walk in heels already. What about us? Bass insisted as he pointed to himself and the Dark One. Grim and I did a lot. Dio should get something for paying the victim. He added after a moment. He reached down and reattached his hand, the flesh moving like liquid until the hand and arm were one again. When he did that, Wyam tasted something. Incredible, she smiled, seeing what the golem was, or uh, what it would be. His nature, so clear for the single moment, his master was a devious one. Wyam would tip her head in respect if the idea didn't want to make her skewer the golem now and end it before it could bloom. Lou scowled as he heard the question and smacked it rift a few times as if adjusting the signal on an old TV set. It spluttered and spat out a little tacky participation trophy decorated with glitter and metallic paint. It had Dio's name on it, and it did have a little magic to it, but Wyme had no idea what it was. Picking it up, Dio spun on one foot and held it skywards in one hand, giving off a loud, cheerful cry. The rift wheezed a few times, giving up a book and a flower crown. The book was a cozy-looking thing, with its cover showing a little ant riding on a train towards some quaint city. It was titled, How to Chill Out and Be Helpful Hobo Teacher, one by R.R. Rivers. The pages seemed to be tons of comments made by the margin by some editor that Wyme could see was a sassy. Grim held the book out like it was going to bite him. Vass put the crown on his head and began to... Wyme recoiled. He was... Uh, vibing... Alpha seemed to watch this all, from Kemi topping over everywhere, Dio still posing with his trophy and a death mage posing with enough edge to make a razor wire. Grim nibbling on the book like a toddler, and the beast girl putting the collar on near nearby rock which made it grow little legs and run around barking. Then there was Vass, vibing. She sent a pygmy downstairs to get her a flagon of troll ale. Why, was going to black out and erase this from her short-term memory. It was for the best. It was either drink or taking up knitting with her organs, and one of those required patience. Delta pressed her cheek against the floor. The white nothingness was cool. Narrowing her eyes, she licked it and left an orange streak. The mating room had a few bugs to sort out. One, Delta couldn't evacuate because she couldn't step into 100% dungeon mindset to use the way out. Darn her humanizing mindset and inability to go beep-boop murder. Well, if I can't get out that way, I'll just make my own way, she declared and began to lick the floor. How many licks does it take to get out of the center of a dimensional soul escape? She wondered. Sixteen, it turned out. 
The floor cracked and Delta saw that she had not taken the consideration that she was on top of a hole when it finally gave out. She floated there for a moment over a yawning abyss. This is fine, she said calmly as she began to fall. She fell for a long time, crashing into tubes that she wasn't sure she wasn't supposed to be going down. She gave a yelp as the spongy mushroom tubes turned sharp and metallic. The feeling of orange faded sharply, only her own body glowing orange as she crashed into something hard. It was a place of stone. No, more like ash. Ash that was so delicate that one hiss of breath would bring down the entire city of ash. No... Not a city, not ridges and levels of some ringed city. These were floors. A disconnected series of levels of a dungeon. She flowed to the very bottom, past all 103 floors into the depths where the core was. Where the core should have been. Instead, in a giant room where night's gleaming metal once stood and art mosaics and made Delta want to cry even in the dimensional states. And it all became fresh frozen in ash. The back of the raised platform and a massive crater devoured the space, the ruins of the pedestal barely poking out of the bottom. Her form tried to fill the space, forming a slightly glassy orb, more energy than physically substance. Around her, the ash began to sluggishly turn to orange metal, then shone orange silver, a paradox that would cling to her over oblivion. It began to hurt. All the floors pulling at her at once, 103 floors, 10 special floors of bosses so long dead that not even the dungeon's power could resurrect them, 93 floors of lesser bosses or powerful traps and gimmicks, over 2,000 monsters, some able to return, others not, powerful magic items and obstacles, pulling and tugging at one last gasp of breath that was Delta. Delta began to crack down her sides, seams coming undone in the sharp edges, and she could not utter a sound. It took everything that she had to keep it together. Her hands dissolved as the dungeon that was so too big for her sucked and drained her. One of her eyes went dark and thought started to become slow. She, she, what was, Delta... Delta! Delta! End of chapter 126 Slivers of Silver It felt like this. Was it? Sensation. A sharp poke that brought reality crashing back. A reflective manner tapping on her very essence. Delta twitched as something broke in the time dilation over her own mind. I like your grit, but there's biting more than you can chew off and suffocating yourself in dessert. A voice broke through the endless loop. A woman had simply walked out of thin air. Silver hair, amused sculptured features, too beautiful to be real. She reached up and pulled Delta out of the pedestal as if grabbing a fish stuck in a net. Who are you? Delta said slowly, the connection to her dungeon coming clearer now and giving her energy through decaying dungeon veins in here. The once silver dungeon. S-silver? Delta asked the woman and snorted. No, don't let the hair fool you. I used to have a different color. My name is Lorsa, and you, little stepsister, are a long way from home. The woman said with a sigh. 
This Lulsa was a dungeon, but not. She was old, but new. She was strong, but weak. Lulsa was sad, but she was determined. You should come to my dungeon and have cake, Delta said, first thing that came to her mind, her most based thoughts, her first instincts in a stressful situation. Lulsa smiled, and they were moving through the dungeon system links, bouncing between dungeons like bounce pads. This was how Lulsa teleported. Her control was years above Delta's, however. She could make sharp turns with ease, and the other dungeons moved to get out of her way. The good news is that you, for a few minutes, managed a dungeon with about 34 times the amounts of levels of your own and didn't instantly snap. That means you're tough, Lulsa complimented. Delta still felt groggy, confused as the tunnels around them shot past like stars in the sky. Bad news? she asked, frowning. Lawsa's brown crew and Delta decided she would have to add ice cream to the offering table. Under her silver hair, like lines on her skull, the glint of diamonds sparkled in the passing light. You set off every alarm on the way down, Lawsa said simply. Oh, Delta didn't suppose that was very good, now was it? The gleaming tower was a marvel of stone and rare imported glass from the desert, bombed from the fabled ruby dungeon of beauty. The constructs had been infused with rare glassmaker manner, making them permanent. The appearance was open, airy, and approachable, the stairs leading up to the physically exhausting but brisk. One could pay a small fare at the entrance gate for a platform that would lift them up as they relaxed on benches. It was affordable, so it really was a choice of endurance versus time. Along with ten free rides around noon each day, it was all very light. Such was the way to Fairplay Tower. Near the top, not quite at the top floor, Director Riptoy looked out the window over the expanding town of glinting glass and streamlined mage colleges. Water majors would be going to the sewage treatment plant along with fire majors to waste management. Local air majors would collect and spill off from the full, then back up in the blocks that Fairplay would take back and feed to the smog dungeon to the east. A long trip to simply dump waste, but it was the only dungeon that naturally developed such a, um, taste. The dungeon was an amendable one, keeping its word and their deal and their head shrunk. One of the smoother deals, but that might be due to the gluttonous nature of the dungeon rather than their own negotiation tactics. The sheer profits they made off enchanted air masks was also not to be ignored, so Riptoy considered the journey of waste to be worth it. His door opened and he looked over his shoulder to see a lanky boy shuffling in, holding a tea tray. It shook, but at least there had been no more stains in his expensive rug this time. Gentle, come in, boy. He beckoned, and the nervous teen with the dull brown hair and uniform he still struggled to fill out did so, managed to put the tray down without spilling anything this time. Riptoy internally sighed with relief. The tea was bitter sort, but Riptoy had grown to enjoy many flavors in his years. Sir, a report from upstairs in the manor tracer came in. They need to see you immediately, Gentle said, not stammering. Riptoy nearly promoted him on the spot. How far the boy had come from the stuttering, clumsy idiot he had taken under his wing. Very good, gentle. Stay here and enjoy some tea. Anyone comes looking, you know what to do, he instructed. It had not been his intent to turn gentle into an assistant of sorts, but it just worked out that way. 
The boy seemed happier when he was elbow deep in work, so he didn't have the heart to actually hire someone to take the duties away from the gentle. Sir, the boy asked before he was out the room. Ripdoy turned back with an arched brow. If the mana center is acting up, it means that there's a new dungeon, a strong one, he said, not actually asking anything. Gentle, remember to not dawdle with your words, lad, he reminded the boy and straightened up, saluting. Sir, I want to know if I can finally join the scouting expedition, he asked, unable to hide his excitement. Ripdoy brushed his silvery beard, unable to quite hide his frown. Men and women could legally join up at the age of eighteen. However, special permission from a guardian could allow one at sixteen to join the various groups. Since Ripdoy was Gentle's guardian in the eye of the law, he could grant the boy's wish. He managed a small smile. Let me think about it and we'll discuss it over dinner, he promised, and Gentle's face lit up before turning serious. Sir, he saluted again and Ripdoy left the room, unable to stop the smile that he felt in the small childish necklace he wore of seashells that Gentle had made for him when he was a lad. The shell was fragile, and all his fights, escapades, and adventures, Ripdoy had collected more than a few scars by protecting it from the toll or any attack by a monster. It was also heavy as he thought of Gentle in those same dangers. He reached the manor tracer on the top floor, a massive singular room dedicated to a massive globe-like device that was a collaboration project of geomancers, madna purists, dungeon items, and one woman... Genia Visp. Her business hair was up in a bun and her sole tenant controlled the entire globe. The other people in the room were here for maintenance, recording and aiding Genia where they could with her own talents. She turned to his entrance. Their uniforms were similar, dark green with a white trim around the neck. His had a sword at his hip, hers a hand and a crossbow. The rotation images of the world split and unfolded into proper shape of a rough rectangle. I don't know why you insist on the round mode. The round planet just looks wrong, Ripdoy said gruffly. I wouldn't mind a world where walking forward doesn't meet a dead end, Jania said easily, her voice coming out in a light lisp. Her quirk was long familiar to Ripdoy, comforting, even. I like to see where my world ends and build a bridge further out in spite the void, Ripdoy shrugged. Then, same old argument like a greeting between them. Bridges. You mean dungeons that fall hopefully there or here and expand one realm or another, where lucky dungeons don't crash into cities, Jadia said with exasperation. Ripdoy watched her settle into a chair, the commanding dock that would control the machine at full power. Not even the Kabolds would build cities with extreme edge. It's bad enough that we lose people to the dive syndrome every year, but we don't need a whole cities exploding or going over the edge due to shoddy foundations. Ripdoy leaned against another chair as Jaina rose up, a stone pillar lifting her chair up so that she was equal to the map. Dive syndrome isn't exactly a disorder. People just, uh, leap when they see the abyss. There's no medical explanation for the malady of their mind. Healthy, sane people just jumping. It's bizarre. Jania admitted as she slowly connected the ribbons of her mana to the map where the machine would begin connecting her to millions of mana threads in the sky. Like little footprints in the snow, the manor left a trail and one could touch. Jania was the thought of the talentless girl until Ripdoy lifted her high enough. Then she was a goddess. 
Well, they all have one connection. They're either an adventurer, children of adventurers, or have a strange blood gift. Riptoy reminded as he waited. There was no point in asking Janya what was going on. She was the type of woman who didn't hand in a report until she had enough facts. Janya disliked wasting time. Her hands began to weave, brushing multicolored threads here and there, like a harp player playing a melody only she could hear. Did you hear about the tree down south? Janya asked as Riptoy had, but he merely let her talk. About how the tree had a whole branch snapped off by something godly had issues with it. The branch took off, flying with two parts unknown to seed itself. About the monster that chased it. How dungeon generation was down by almost 30% this year. Monsters seemed down as well. Riptoy was listening when he didn't have to give commands. He liked the way Jania talked with professionalism, not peppering her words with too many opinions that might bias her work. Facts were strong and true, and they both appreciated that. Then Jania froze up all at once, following threads of magical equipment near consoles went off. Sir, ma'am, leftover wards in Dungeon 03 went live. They're out of date, but something tried to power up the dungeon and, uh, gone. It's gone, but the whole place lit up. The man in the corner, Hasman, who had two little girls, if Riptoy remembered right. Dungeon 3, he remembered. Silver. Riptoy remembered pain and the screaming on the rooms as metal peeled itself off the walls in rage. He remembered how it had broken all the rules. Send mages and scouts. I want reports. Check the outposts. Monsters may attack to feed the dungeon if they manage to survive, he said with authority. Janya was giving him looks. Concern. Dungeon 3 had not shattered. Zero 03 did not agree to their terms, so raw and full of holes in those early days. Dungeon Zero 03 got up one day and walked out of its dungeon and killed that woman. A contract servant. Then the core just, uh... Vanished. It was the most harrowing thing Riptoy had experienced within a dungeon. Abominations that were just that. Monsters far too gone to let live. Zero three was the worst. It was far too human and it still did terrible things. It was easy to put down dungeons that created viral plagues, insect swarms, monsters so putrid that they tainted the land that they walked on. Zero three had shown them something much worse. It showed dungeons played a game with rules, but they were just playing. And they were all playing too, and when they decided the game ended, then there was no fair play. Jania's hand had snagged on something so vibrant that it was hard to look at. A thrumming orange thread. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed if you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.